Aperture Priority, show number 10. How much editing is too much? Welcome to the Aperture Priority Podcast, an Avila Studios production where it's all about photography and fun. Now open up that aperture and let some creative light in. Aperture uh, priority show number 10. We hit the big 10. Oh, uh, double digits. Wow. Yeah, I'm moving up. And today I have with me Mr. Joe Inkelbert. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, let's start off with the news. Oh, well, it, uh, <laughs> it, it was midnight somewhere last night and Nikon made their big announcement and uh, got the email and I thought, hmm, must be midnight on the East Coast because being on the West Coast, it wasn't uh, the 23rd yet. Yes. So it's a big, a big announcement, and I, I'm amused at the reaction. Oh yes, most definitely. I, as soon as when you emailed me, I also got uh, an email from Nikon saying, "Hey, you know, blah blah blah. Welcome to you know their big announcement, their future, their and everything. You know, their their hype." And uh, as I got that, I went directly to YouTube, mm-hmm. and it was I was amazed how many photographers without having touched this camera yet, and I don't think they were beta testers, where they already had their opinion on it. Mm. Epic fail and everything. And I've gotten to the point, does anybody actually touch something before uh, they read a spec and to see how it actually works? Well, it seems to be a sign of the times that uh, not only can I have an opinion, but you're entitled to my opinion. And you should hear it. Even though I may not have had a lot of experience with what I'm talking about, I still have an opinion. And that's what amuses me is that um, the the criticism that I was reading, they were criticizing features that they couldn't have possibly know about yet unless they had the camera in their hands. So I I don't know. I I think it's all about this rush to get there first and to get the attention and that kind of thing. Yeah, and it was funny. I I finally saw the spec on the lens opening, and it was what I initially heard it was going to be fifty five millimeter. But it's funny how over time it went from fifty five to sixty five to seventy three. Oh, right, the, the speculation, which, which yeah. would have made it a pretty big camera. So, uh, and it's also interesting. They there was no APS-C. They're both full frame. Full frame, yes. And and I think that's a smart move. Just concentrate. On, on one thing for now, uh, I, I look at it, if, if I want an APS-C, there's nothing wrong with APS-C. I like my Fuji. Maybe Nikon should just concentrate almost back when, when they were just a 35-millimeter film camera. Yeah. They, they just did 35-millimeter film. Didn't, they didn't venture into any of the medium formats. They, they, they've excelled in that one area. And that's a great, uh, great marketing uh, approach is to... Own your your part of the marketplace, right? Right. So I was I was glad to see that. Uh, I'm glad. To, I I don't think there's going to be a different flash systems. So I think all the the Nikon flashes should work with it. I didn't read anything on that, but I looked at the pin configuration. So that I think that's good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did see the adapter. I I didn't see. I, it was mm-hmm. pretty late. Uh, I didn't see any pricing on the adapter if it comes with the adapter. 
but it looks like the adapter will work with all the GS lenses, oh. not the screwdriver. I know some people were, were griping about that. And here's the thing. I have used uh, dig, uh, the digital mirrorless cameras for a couple of years now with my Fuji. There are third-party uh, manufacturers that make adapters. Right, right. Metabones and, and others. all that. Right. So there'll probably be a, a slew of others. Uh, I did like to see the roadmap of the lenses. That was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm really interested in the knocked one, the 58 mm-hmm. or, uh, yes, point, point, point 0.95. Point. I'm yeah. sorry. 0.95. 0.95. Yeah, there you go. And uh, it's manual focus. And I was like, hmm, yeah, interesting. That is interesting, isn't it? Um, so it is, are they... I'm going to assume that they must have nailed it with their focus peaking. For those of you who've ever used manual lenses on a digital mm-hmm. uh, mirrorless, that uh, helps with the focusing. Why I'm really interested, I have the Nikon uh, 50 millimeter 1.2. Mm-hmm. And I have tried <laughs> to focus it on, on my, you know, my Nikon uh when I, I had the D300 at the time, and it has the focus assist. But trying to focus with something at 1.2, I, I could not nail it. Mm. I, I'd have to rock back and forth and just go click, 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 click. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> so I'm curious how, what they put in, you know, I, I really want to get my hands on it. That's the next step. Yes. So that's the next step. So right. uh, I think overall, I, I, I think they did good. I, I know there's a lot of serious complaints about the, not having two card slots and everything, but I I want to I want to feel the camera. I want to see the menu system. I want to see the picture quality. Right, right, and that uh, that brings us to the question of the mailbag that we got, and that is, what's the big deal about mirrorless? Should I abandon the DSLR and move to mirrorless? That's a question I've been hearing a lot in the last uh, three or four months, and. What do you think? I mean, what, what you're, you're a I, I, mirrorless. I do own a mirrorless. Uh, my first initial impression, the first time I touched one was, uh, was the Sony a seven. And at first it's, it's like being a kid in at the toy store. It was mm. new and shiny. Right. But o- over time it was like, uh, I, I didn't care. And then when I picked up the Fuji, I had that prejudice in me because I thought, I wasn't impressed, but then the quality of the Fuji and how it was built and the features I liked. Mm -hmm. Then I started carrying it more with me and I did some shoots just with it. Then I liked that it was lighter, but I look overall, do I get great images? Yes. Do I get great images with my Nikon D 700? Yes. Uh, I just factor in what am I comfortable with? Right. Uh, is mirrorless the future? It looks like it's the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, should you consider it? I, I guess, you know, but I don't see DSLRs going away. Mm. You know, I, right. I look at it, 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 that old saying, what's the, what's the best camera to have? Yeah. It's the one you're carrying with you. Right. So the, the, the big advantage of mirrorless is that's always been touted is the weight. The weight, It's a yes. smaller body. It's a smaller body, yes. The critique of that, though, is that the lenses are bigger. 
because of the physics of the focal point. And you can use a other the Metabones adapter, for example. You can put on uh, Canon lenses on a on a Sony A seven R, but it adds weight. Exactly. So the question I I'm asking that I've that I've been asked is, is that really a weight savings when you have to add the adapter or you buy the native lens, which is larger? than the DSLR lens. Is it truly a, a weight savings? The way I look at it is I have used uh, an adapter, the bigger lens, and with with the Sony, I know their newer one, they, they, they worked on the grip system. Because right off the bat, when you look at the, the Z6 and Z7 of the Nikon, mm-hmm. I think Nikon nailed it with the ergonomics. I think because they've been a camera manufacturer longer. That's not a knock against Sony, but when Sony started making these digital cameras, they bought Minolta. Mm-hmm. Did they keep the camera designer, you know, the body designers or what happened right. there? Uh, Every corporate longer. takeover. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Out the door you right. go. All right. So uh, that was my problem with the Sony, because when you use it with their G Master lenses, which are their top of the line lenses. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel right balance-wise. And if you look at their lens opening, how the back of that uh, lens tapers down, I know that's been one of the things that uh, that was initial, initially the E-mount was an APS-C mount. Because right. if you look inside of it, that 35-millimeter sensor barely fits in there. It's a tight fit. And I think they've, that's been one of the things that they've uh, struggled trying to get these lenses to, to you know. To align. To, to align, align with the, the sensor, right. That, where, where Nikon made this new mount, it was not APS-C. They did not use their F mount. I think, I think there should be, in theory, better. Uh, and plus, they make their own lenses. Right. Where Sony, I think... Uh, they brand them. I think they're mainly Zeiss makes them and maybe somebody else, but I think it's mainly Zeiss. So the advantage that Nikon would have in this uh, competition is that they are native camera ma- manufacturers going back uh, uh, decades, but they also make their own bodies, their own lenses. They, they have a lot more experience in the ergonomics, which is going to be helpful in their competition against Sony in the mirrorless market. The question then, should I switch from DSLR to mirrorless is maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I would honest to God tell anybody, and this goes back to an earlier show, which I had uh, Rudy from uh, Horn Photo, is actually go to a store mm-hmm. and feel for yourself. And pick it up. And pick it up. Right. Is this what I'm going to want to use? You could order it by everybody's recommendation but I, I would say, actually feel it. Is this, is this going to be lighter? Put a lens on and, and compare, you know, just kind of like almost what we used to do back in the day. Back in the day. And so, and I say this because I worked at a camera store, so I kind of know this. Uh, the other thing now I look at now, uh, Nikon announced, what's Canon going to do? Are they going to keep the EOS mount, which they already 
I think redid 20 or 25 years ago when they came from their old, was it the Canon FD mount? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to come out with? Right. So competition is good. Uh, I don't want to seem like I'm knocking the Sony, but uh, again, I have friends who've used, who have just cameras galore. They've used many different cameras, systems. I found the, the ones that use Sony have had problems. Mm. And I've heard the new Sonys are nice. It's true they've had this five and a half, six year lead and they've done a lot in, in that time and they've gotten better. But you look in five years in today's world in technology, that's ancient. I yeah, mean, right. they had that lead and it took them this long to create a camera that's more ergonomically like why didn't you do that before they didn't know did they and they say well it's great to hear that the they take uh you know the pros input well yeah that that's always good but the other thing is uh when it comes down and my friend's running into this he has to send his in for repair he sent me the message of what the repair center is saying. The problem is with this uh, white pixels. It's like they have to replace the back of the camera. Uh, and so I said, did they tell you it's a light leak? I thought that's kind of odd. Mm. <laughs> I kid with him. I said, it's going to cost you $350. I told him I got some super glue and duct tape. <laughs> I'll fix that light leak real good. You can fix anything with bailing wire and duct yeah. tape and super glue. So I, I look at it, okay, I, but I want to feel the, the new Nikon in my hand. I want to see right. these lenses because they're lenses. They're saying they're S and they're supposed to be their top of the line now and they're all S. The price went up on a basic 50 millimeter. I want to see how good that is. At I mean, I really want to, you know, the street price uh, or, or suggested retail, I think it was 600. I, I, I think I got that from one of the YouTube guys complaining, mm -hmm. but I want to see what the actual price right. is going to be and how good it is. Then I'll, I'll make my decision there because honestly, I'm, I'm happy using my D 700 mm -hmm. and now I'm testing a D 800. I may buy for my friend and I I'm happy with those. And it's great if I decide to switch in the future. There's an adapter right now. I could I could do that. I'm I'm not worried about the roadmap for Nikon lenses because I know they can produce lenses. Right, and and they are very conscious, and it's a great strength of their of theirs to take into consideration the great investment people have made in their lenses. So the price points for these two new digital cameras that Nikon has come out with, uh, the they're in the three to four thousand north of those ranges. That's that's a pretty good price for a uh, mirrorless entry. And I was a little surprised that it was that much. I mean, the, the, the 850, which has almost the identical specs of the Z7, is less, quite a bit less than $4,000. And mm -hmm. I, I thought, hmm, that's an interesting. Uh, exactly. Right. I look at it, okay. I was paying a lot of money, you know, let's say at their time, they were competing with uh, Nikon and Canon, but I don't think their ergonomics were there. I don't think the, the build quality there, because what I hear about how Nikon tests their camera, there's a great video how they test the weather ceiling on their D850s. I mean, Nikon really... That was extreme, wasn't yes, it? Yes, they really do. And I there was 
some guy on YouTube that tested the D850 versus at the at the time it was the A9 Sony A9 and they, they put it out in the rain and the A9 leaked where the 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 Nikon didn't and I don't know if that's because the Sony's putting so much into it a small body and uh I, I guess after a while and the heat issues I've heard and again, I've had a friend and he's tested cameras and he switched away from Sony and went back to Canon. Mm-hmm. And then he switched to the Fuji H1 to do his video and shooting. So uh, he he uses these a lot and he uses it for video. I would say that the Sony's video are great and, and I'm not a video guy. I've seen the quality of it. You know, uh I cut my teeth on the video business on Sony professional cameras. And I often wondered why they didn't make still cameras. Uh, I was a, been a Nikon Sony guy all my life in that regard. And you're right. Sony makes a great video camera and they've never been able to translate that successfully into still cameras until this recent uh, iteration of the mirrorless. So the final answer is, uh, Know what kind of photography you want to do and go find the best tool for it. Right. And and please, for God's sake, test your camera. Pick it up and see if this is what you're going to want. Because if not, it, it is an expensive uh, tool to buy. Uh, it's an and, exp- yeah, it's, it's an expensive paperweight. And, and if it's not what you want, I mean. Go move on to something else. Move on to something that's going right. to get you what you want. I get tested. It's it's maybe in the future what we're going to get today. We, we just mail order our cars and not do the test drive anymore. Right. And then we don't want it. We, we send it back. Exactly. And because you usually get charged a shelving price. Mm-hmm. So or, yeah. I would test it. And again, or even rented when it comes out, if you want to wait. That's the best idea. Rent one. Yes. For a few bucks. So I kind of want to do a correction from the last show. I was talking about uh, my uh, Synology server, and I said it was a four gigabyte uh, uh, mirrored system. It's a four terabyte. So oh, that makes a little more yeah, sense. Yeah, it's like four gigabytes. It's not going to last too long. No, that's uh, like one shoot, isn't it? <laughs> and then I did find. I went back into On One and I did some more testing. There's two issues I have with On One. It's an over sharpening issue that I'm getting the haloing mm, from. I see. And since I did the last update, there were two updates back to back, not too uh, long. I think I need to dump my preference file because it's, I think there's an issue with that. Because mm. when I go to export, I don't, it, it bypasses the uh, dialogue. It just, just goes ex- straight export. to export. Okay. So I think that's a preference issue. I wish they would do what Lightroom does and gives me a dialogue box that pops up instead of their how their modules work. Yes. Just personal preference. But I think part of the issue I'm having is, I want to be fair to them, is... Uh, Over-sharpening. Over and that would certainly produce the halos that we've been describing. Good. So I wanted to make that uh, okay. that correction from last time. In the spirit of transparency. Yes. So I fear we'd go into today's subject right now. Is And, and this is a great question. How much editing is too much? Mm. <laughs> well, the, the question is um, really revolves around this idea of purism that I see in photography. 
And I was, you and I were talking the other day and I was relating an experience I had in a gallery showing and there were um, two or three artists being displayed, one of which was a black and white, a, f- a photographer using film, black and white film, retro, a young lady that uh, recently graduated from college, from photography school in the Bay Area. And she was uh, showing off her black and whites. And then there was some uh, another photographer there that was using a DSLR digital format, a Nikon, I believe it was. And the owners of the gallery had set their two images of half dome side by side. So I was standing there looking at a black and white image and a color image by two different photographers. And the, the, the black and white was very flat. The trees in the bottom were just silhouettes. There was no dimensionality, no, no third dimension at all. The sky was white with a trace of maybe a hint of a cloud. And then the, the digital photograph adjacent to it, the trees were three-dimensional. They, were, they had light and darkness. The, the, there was a lot more contrast, a lot more vibrancy to the print. The clouds were visible. And so I was talking to the, my companion there, and I was critiquing the photos, not knowing that the photographer <laughs> was standing behind me uh, listening, overhearing my conversation. I said, you know, it appears that this image, the black and white, is straight out of the camera. Nothing was done to it in the dark room. It's just straight. And the young lady inter- interrupted me and said, that's exactly right. And that's the way it should be, is that it's straight out of the camera. I'm a purist. I don't, that's the reality. That's real. And I said, okay. So there's that argument about is, is to, she would postulate that any editing is too much. And I thought, and so I've been thinking about that. And and of course you can read the forums and this is a hot, hot topic, but uh, there, there's two, there's two ends of the question. No editing I think is, probably not the position I would take, nor is over-processing. So where is that happy medium for you, Tony? Where is that middle? Right. Where? It, that, that's a great question. And, and here's the thing. When she processed that black and white, well, that's almost editing. It, how long did you leave it in the chemistry? Exactly. So there's a lot of variables. Here, here's something, and this happened last night. Uh, a friend of mine, David, who I started the show with, uh, he calls me up and he had a new uh, prop. So I went over and he had these old cameras. One was an old Minolta rangefinder. Another one was a Polaroid. Mm. So he's going to try some Polaroids. I see. Because if you think about it, the Polaroid, you shoot. And it was the old one where you slide out the film and you let it. You had to do so many seconds. Right. And then peel the paper. Yeah. So I would say, well, that Polaroid, boom, it's. That's how you shot it. But here's the problem with that Polaroid, unless you have one picture. So let's say you're going to do a show and you just, you're a purist, you have all these Polaroids. Mm -hmm. Well, if you sell them, you you don't have your original anymore. Right. But what if you say, okay, I'm going to scan it in as is and have a digital file. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as you scan it in, bring it up to Photoshop, say, okay, let me just do a little adjustment layer. Oh, while I'm at it, uh, darn, uh, there's a leaf there. Let me just clone that out real quick. 
I think as soon as you scan it in or bring it in digitally, you're, you're, you're going to manipulate it. Exactly. The, so the question is that um, the purists that I've run into have have this attitude or this presupposition that there's this unwritten rule out there that only photographs that come straight out of the camera are acceptable. Right. And I, I've... Uh, tried to drill down on exactly where that attitude comes from. And and I think it, it springs from photojournalism, not the art side of photography. And so uh, there was a photographer in, I think Argentina or maybe it was Brazil that made, uh, made the news. Unfortunately, his name is uh, Marcio Cabral. And he, he featured a, he won a wildlife contest, a, a major wildlife contest. We got a, he had a wonderful nighttime image of a termite mound with specks of uh, bioluminance termites and an anteater at visiting the termite mound. One, a once in a lifetime shot. As it turns out, though, evidently, the accusation was made that the termite, or the, excuse me, the anteater in the photo was a taxidermy model that he had placed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a firestorm. And he was stripped of his contest. So I was reading about other contests, uh, losers, you know, that won the contest and then they were disqualified. And it go, the list goes on. This, this particular photographer was disqualified because they replaced the sky in their image. It wasn't cloudy enough or there were no clouds in the sky. So he put a, a, a picture of clouds in there. And... There's a, uh, a, uh, a site from the World Press Photo that even has a series of videos that says, okay, here's what's acceptable and here's what's unacceptable when you enter our contest. And that's a photojournalism uh, site. And they're very strict. And they disqualify 20% of their ent- entries because they've been manipulated is the term they use. Well, I think it's easy to point out too much photo editing. You know, you... And again, neither one of these things are bad. They're just uh, an approach. And when does photography blend into fine art? Well, Mm -hmm. you know, when you remove that leaf from the image, that is no longer what the picture was that you took, but it becomes art. Mm -hmm. And so this blurry line between photography and art is hard to, to nail down. Too much manipulation is when you, I think the bottom line is, is when you misrepresent your photograph as something that was there and you don't correct that misunderstanding. When you present a photograph to your audience and you say, "Mm, this is the way it was, but it really wasn't that way Mm. when you took the photograph. That's too much. I mean, that's, that's, I think, the problem that underlies the question. Now, the interesting thing is I, I, I too, have worked for a newspaper. And uh, the interesting thing with the anteater, I, 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 would, uh, I would throw this in. What if when uh, they were doing a story to cover anteaters, there's none around, you're, you're going to put something in there. Uh, because, again, I've worked for a newspaper, right. so if we're doing a story on this, maybe – certain thing isn't there that you may have to edit in or I would have to do the illustration on because you're trying to depict a certain right. story. Yes. So you're not always going to have a certain thing. So let's say it's, 
it's midsummer here in the valley. There's not a cloud in the sky for yet months to come. And we're doing something, a story on, on, on something in the winter. So we're going to either have to recreate that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's going to be that. That's how I look at it. Purism. It, again, I, I went to an art school and I, what I could tell you, you're always going to have debates, you know, Oh, oil painting is the real thing. No acrylics, no watercolor, you know, pencils, the true art, you know, you're, you're always going to have debates. Uh, the only thing I would suggest to users, if you have an image and if you spend a long time on it, no matter what you do and it doesn't look good, and then you decide to go run one of these things and it looks like a pencil drawing and you say, wow. And everybody says, wow. It's like, Maybe you should go back to the basics and try to figure where you went wrong mm-hmm. and to correct the capture. Right, right. But the way of editing is you're, you're telling your story of what you shot. So dodging, burning, and doing some of the things does not, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Well, let's go back to the uh, conversation I was having with the purist. And when she said that straight out of the camera is the way to go. Even if you take that, uh, supposition and you apply it to film some of the most famous landscape photographers or portrait photographers manipulated that negative with dodging and burning uh ansel adams leaps to mind of course and he was he was famous for his darkroom abilities and and so going back to what you said about the polaroid i no two images of Ansel Adams are identical because each one of them he would dodge and burn uh, to his liking. So he had very few. I mean, he would. You could take the print and then make a, a copy of that. But if he were to emerge from the dark room, he would have manipulated that film. And in my days of film, just your comment about leaving it in the developer for an extra, or or pulling half of the paper out of the developer for a few extra seconds. You know, those are all manipulation. And in defense of anybody that wants to do editing, when we when we take a photograph of a scene, that scene is not represented in the camera at all. The, the camera is not capable of reproducing what the eye right. sees, right? Right. So the, the basic um, justification for any, any kind of photo editing is to restore the image to the way your eye saw it. We see the clouds in the sky, but the camera paints a white sky. We see the details in the shadows of that same image or that same scene, but the camera makes them so black as to make them indistinguishable. So returning that image to it the way your eye saw it is absolutely not a sin whatsoever. I agree. I think the sin is when you misrepresent your image as something that it's not. Right. And I would have to say, I think, because this is not an election year, but uh, Facebook's become known for that and many times i see now it depends on what political spectrum you're on you're on the opposing one you see an image that has been doctored oh yeah and i think that that is an issue that i think in today's world i don't think people we're getting we don't know what's real or not real but then let's look at uh people take self-portraits anymore with with their cell phone i haven't seen any of that what are you talking about (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, wait a minute. I haven't seen any today. <laughs> and then and then as soon as they bring it into, let's say, Instagram, right. they start running those filters. Oh, yeah. oh wow. My wow. skin looks so good. Mm-hmm. I look 20 years younger. Yeah. Uh, so I, you see it. The edit, it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. How many times I seen those dog ears, uh, nose and the tongue on, on, they thought, hey, it was cute the first time, you know. Right. So it. It it has become the the funny thing. Many times I tell you, I was one of the first uh, users around here. Photoshop, and I go to back to Photoshop to nineteen ninety two. And when I would talk to people when I worked at Albert Studio doing digital, they would, "What program is that? Microsoft Paint?" And I was like, "No, no, this is Photoshop." Uh, I used to go up north to. Uh, what is it's around uh, it's it's above uh hayward that's the mm. and i used to be, be with a group of models and photographers and we would have this mansion we'd have access to it so we'd go on sunday and it was great the guy had a lagoon in the back it looked like a mini gilligan's island oh yeah so we would go back there it was like a meet and greet how i knew editing was going to come to its day was the first time a model when you were shooting her she goes Photoshop this out. Right. That the noun became a verb. Yes. And that is the other knock is that uh, there's a critique and a valid one, in my opinion, about how Photoshop has been abused to enhance beauty and create an image that doesn't exist. And too much editing. When we take a, a photograph of someone that most of the, most of the time, uh, that person wants us to put them in the most flattering light. Yes. Well, uh, Photoshop can do that. We can remove wrinkles and we can, you know, we make, we, we joke about it, but you can overdo it. You can yes. make a, a 75 year old man look like a 19 year old, but it looks so artificial that. Yes. So my question is, or my, my, my question is how much is too much editing in when you're talking about the human subject? Right. That's a, that's a great point. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, a couple of years back, actually, it's probably more like five years back. I worked with a local model. She was really cool. And we were talking and she had done a photo shoot, uh, shoot up north. With, I think it was in Modesto. These two guys, one would shoot and the other guy would do the editing. And she said, you know, they're both learning. Uh, the guy who shot had an eye. The editor over edited she was so airbrush her face was flat mm. he would go back in and airbrush the highlights she started looking like a block person <laughs> so and she told me she goes can you check these out for me yeah. get what you think because she asked me how long have you been using photoshop and i said well quite a while back and, and when she showed me the images it was like wow, wow. they were so painted but she didn't need it. But I think sometimes, and, and this happens, I, I guarantee you, anybody new to photo editing will go crazy. And then they're like, oh, wow, I can make it look like a Van Gogh or something. Right. And you've gone a little too far. Well, the tools are there to use, right? I mean, why would they put the tools in there? Let's use them. Right. Let's use them all. So my analogy is this. Is this. It, Using Photoshop is kind of like making a stew. You have your basic ingredients, white balance, 
highlights, shadows, contrast. All those things are the basic things that every photograph can be improved by using the basics. But then you have a little spice, a little salt, maybe a little pepper, that if you add it to the stew, it really makes a nice tasting stew. But if you overdo the spice, it's yes, you can't even eat it. <laughs> and that's what happens with people that overprocess their images is that they they discover Nick or Topaz or On One and the the, the all these plugins and they just go crazy and they've added half a pound of salt to the stew and it just look and it tastes horrible. So my my question about how much is too much for uh, photo editing? I mean, I go back to the days of airbrushing. I used to airbrush. So do I, yes. <laughs> and I, I still have images that I airbrushed. And I'm thinking, you know, I've been a part of creating this false sense of identity to young people that beauty is perfection. And I, I regret that in a way. I regret perpetuating the, the myth that we can only be happy if we have a perfect right image of ourselves, a photographic image. That is not so. And I'm really happy to see this trend towards models being real people mm-hmm. that are not Photoshop. Now, there is an appropriate use for Photoshop in, in portraiture, bringing out the color of the eyes, enhancing the features that make that person's individual personality shine. But to radically change their physical appearance, uh, I've seen, and we both have seen examples where someone has edited their body shape to mm-hmm. such a point that they are unrecognizable. Yes, yes, that that, that is very true, and uh, and unfortunately, uh, a lot what I do is I'm asked to do that for somebody that say it's going to be on a, a poster, CD cover. Mm-hmm. They want that image you're selling that image and again as the graphic artist here i'm asked to do something and sure. i'm paid to do it and right. that's and that's and you do it and you do it i, I get mean, it it's totally uh, yeah yeah and it, it it's funny but uh, that brings me i uh there's a comedian his name's chris rock and one of his routines <laughs> he's making a joke about you know life evolution you know how people say well you're not that rich and he says oh, excuse me your lips aren't that red what are you telling me? You know, he goes into this thing, how even in real life, the makeup we put, how we, uh, I, I, you know, I, with the young lady, the young photographer, I almost said, so you don't wear makeup, <laughs> but I didn't because I knew better. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it, it, it is part of our culture culture. I it, mean, it, I, it, it is, it, it just, uh, it's unfair, but it's, True, and it, I, I'm happy to see that those attitudes are slowly changing uh, because I really feel bad that photography has contributed to this illusion that, that you're only beautiful if you're perfect. Right, and uh, I want to make a little comment about, uh, I, I made where you get the tools. I, when I go back to the original, almost original, I started Photoshop 2.5, but back then their uh, program came out, still out, Corel owns it. It's called Painter. I recall that. And I, I can't remember. I think Kai's, it was part of Kai's, the company that did Kai's power tools. Mm-hmm. And when you would buy the program, you know, you actually get the CDs or the 
the floppies. Floppies, yes. It came in a paint can. Oh, yes, it did. I remember yeah. that. You open the paint can, there's a bunch of three and a half inch floppies. Yes. In there. A whole stack yes. of them. So, uh, and when I bring a painter, uh, there was one day I was at one of the shows. I don't know if it was WPPI or uh, the the show down in Pasadena put on by California professional photographers or mm. something like that. And you had a guy there. They, they were, uh, you know, he had the, the scene was nice. They had the big TV, mm-hmm. he had the MacBook Pro and the initios. And he was showing, look what you can do. And all the portrait photographers are like, wow, wow, I got to get that. Dro- drooling, yes. And I, I look at it, not to be a snob, is like, well, that's so, painter so 10 years ago. You know, I, it's still a good program, but everybody was like, wow, I got to have this. I'm a portrait photographer. I could go in and paint. And it was so overdone, it looked like a painting. And I again, that's great, but is it... Uh, isn't it a real photograph? Even though it's edited, it's still the capture of the time. I look at the painter thing. It was, it, they were trying to sell it. I, I don't want to say gimmick. I don't want to say it, it. it's a great tool. But everybody was like, wow, I can make this look like a painting scene. Yeah. And it gets to the thing. It's like, well, yeah, I guess you can make it look like a painting, but why not get a real painting then? Yeah, exactly. Or learn how to paint. Learn how to paint. So uh, it, these tools can be overused and uh, I, you could get too involved in it where you start taking bad photos. And again, when I made it, you start getting and trying to bring life to them. It's when you get to that point, I'd say, let's go back. Was it your composition? Was it how you captured that image? Was it maybe you go back a different time of day? Yeah. You're overdoing it by. And there's a valid time to, to, I mean, Sometimes in travel photography, you don't have the option of going back another time. I mean, it, you, it is what it is, and you, you try to make the best of it. So uh, too much editing is when you misrepresent the image as something that it really wasn't, whether it's photojournalism or fine art, without revealing that it's been manipulated or, or, or things have been added or taken away from the image. And then the, the other thing is when you put too much spice in the in the recipe and you're just over-processing it to the point where it is, it's not real. That's not a real image. You right. know, uh, the, the big HDR fad that hit a few yes. years back is a great example of that is people push that, the, those dynamic ranges way out of the natural uh, scene. So, yes, I remember I was in a local uh, camera uh, meetup group and I didn't last long because it came to one of the one of the meetups where uh, we met and everybody brought in their photos and it's one of those instead of bringing one they brought in a gazillion photos oh and every every shot I'm sitting there was HDR and if it wasn't somebody in the group would say well, why didn't you HDR that so this was an HDR group and one of the shots, I kid you not, was was like a rock by a river. And he, I guess he was trying to show the texture. And one of the ladies at, said, why didn't you HDR that? And, and I thought, that's not the answer. Why didn't he try to recompose it or take a different subject than a flat rock, uh, yeah. high noon, 
Right. You know, it's it just boggled my mind, but that HDR thing and, and, and those false colors, but it didn't bother those people. I just looked at it, it just like, oh. The HDR was the solution to the, the wrong problem. The composition, you know, it goes back to the basics. Again, the, the ingredients of the stew, composition, lighting, those are things that you have control over to a, to a degree, and you should. The basics. You have to have the basic meat and potatoes in the stew before you add the spice. The spice is not the meal. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up before we wrap it up, there's a certain person in our group. I won't mention Mr. Larry. <laughs> oh, right. He's a great photographer. Anonymous Larry. <laughs> but when he brought in that, it's a great picture. And when he told us he's been working on that for a year and a half, I thought everybody was giving him a bad time. I thought he's ready to throw his laptop at somebody. <laughs> well, that you know, there is that uh, misunderstanding that it takes years or hours and decades even to, to, to make these images. Uh, he was just referring to the fact that he, he had learned a different set of skill sets right. and was going back to that image like we all do and go, huh, I think I could do something with that. Yes. Which is his famous line. <laughs> but it was so funny to, to see everybody's smile go up because I knew all the wisecracks were coming exactly. when he mentioned a year and a half. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, he, he, he can take it, yeah. Well, great. I think that was a great uh, conversation yeah. about that. And uh, uh, we'll, 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 we'll leave it on the Nikon stuff for now until I actually get to test it. Then mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to be one of those guys on YouTube uh, saying epic fail without ever touching a camera. But uh, Joe, where can we find you? Uh, well, I have a website, www.brightangelimages.com. Uh you can do the Gmail, same, brightangelimages at gmail.com. Those two. Uh, Facebook, same thing, Bright Angel Images, And you can reach me there. Great, great. Uh, you can reach me at theavilistudios.com, uh, TonyAvila64 on Instagram. Uh, I do have the Aperture Priority podcast uh, page up on Facebook. And uh, I think that's about it. I'm hoping to get more traffic there. Uh, anybody wants to visit, ask questions, posts, comments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bring them on. I think I'd like to see this grow into a bigger conversation. Right. That's exactly right. It's a conversation. Great. So let's leave it at, uh, let's open up that aperture and let some of that creative lighting. Priority is an Avila Studios production. For more information on what Avila Studios has to offer, please visit us on the World Wide Web at avilastudios.com.